Good morning from me. My name's Peter. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, good to see you. I've just been at the beach for a couple of weeks. And I'm going to refrain from showing you my thong tan, which is always the sign of a good holiday. I have done that previously in the church. Some people are still scarred from it. Um, I want to start this morning with a little activity. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a uh, bunch of statements up on the screen. One of them is there at the moment, by example. And uh, what I want you to do is I want you to stand to show your agreement with one side of it. Okay? Can we do this? Um, so the example is, should you have an electric car or a normal car? If you, in a mo- we'll do this in a moment. If you think you should have an electric car, stand. And then I'll get you to sit down, normal car, then we'll stand. Everyone clear with what we're doing? All right, let's go. Should you have an electric car or a normal car? Electric car, stand. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, normal car, stand. Okay. Okay, good. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. All right, here we go. The second one. The second one. Should you... Have a cat or a dog? All right. If you think you should have a cat, stand up. Uh, okay. All right. Just out at all of them. Sit down if you think you should have a dog. Stand up. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Grab a seat. We're going to keep going. Here's the, uh, here's the third one. Uh, should you shower or bath regularly or have one a month whether you need it or not? You ready? Stand up if you think you should shower or bath regularly. Okay, grab a seat. Stand up if you think one a month, whether you need it or not. All right, round of applause for all those people sitting on their own. Here's uh, here's another one. Uh, Should you be a friendly person or an irritating person? Now I'm talking generally. Right, some of you are going, well, it depends on the situation because there's times where I really like being an irritating person. Uh, should you be a friendly person, irritating person? Stand up if you think you should be a friendly person. Okay, grab a seat. Uh, stand up if you think irritating's cool. They're probably sitting on their own too, yeah. Excellent, yeah. Thanks for being honest. Uh, here's, here's uh, we've got three more. Uh, here's... Here's the third last one. Should you buy a coffee or pay your mortgage payment? You ready? It's a really expensive coffee. It's like one of those coffees where the beans come out of the poo of that, that feline animal in Asia or something. Or maybe not. Maybe not. You ready? Who thinks you should buy a coffee? Me. Don't have a mortgage. <laughs> All right. Sit down. Who thinks pay your mortgage payment? Stand up. All righto. Okay. All right. You may have noticed this is getting a little trickier. All right. Here's here's the second last one, even more tricky. Uh, Should you rest or go to work? You ready? Should you rest or go to work? You ready for this one? Who thinks you should rest? Stand up if you think you should rest. I do note that there's a church employee standing right now. (laughs) Grab a seat. Who thinks you should go to work? Okay, grab a seat. 
Who, stand up if you didn't stand for either of those. This will be interesting. Okay. All right. Grab a seat. All right. Here's, here's the last one. Should you love your wife or love your children? <laughs> Are you ready for this one? I'm not going to make you stand because this would get awkward, right? <laughs> why, why is it getting tricky? The, the reason why it's getting tricky is because I've switched some things on you as we went through. Did you notice? Uh, we started with some things that were either or things, fundamentally either or, and I switched it out on you and we started doing both and things. Did you notice that? Because if you're wise probably you'll be able to buy a coffee and pay your mortgage, right? And, and you need to do both rest and work, and you're meant to love both your wife, if you're married, and your children, or your husband and your children. Because they're not either or statements, they're actually both and type statements. And, and what we're actually looking at uh, today and is a section out of John, uh, which talks about, talks about love. In fact, in 10 verses, Jesus talks about love eight times in 10 verses. Um, and what you'll see in what Jesus says about love today is that love and action go together. In fact, they, they always go together. Both of them happen at the same time. In fact, you could say, you could use the classic loving statement to describe the connection between love and obedience or love and action they're meant to be together forever that's how it's meant to work so if you've got a bible i'd love for you to uh, get the bible get your bible out we're going to read a section out of john chapter 14 starting at verse 15 uh, this is uh, a, a discourse that jesus is saying at the last supper the night before he gets crucified uh, we're part of the way through it, and uh, this, this last part of John chapter 14 is, is so good that we're, gonna, we're actually going to spend lots of time on it. Uh, in fact, we're, I, I looked at it yesterday and I thought, I think we're just going to get to the end of chapter 14 by the end of November, <laughs> all right? And the reason why is because there is so much stuff at the back end of John chapter 14 that's going to put air in your tyres uh, as you move through into Christmas. So let's have a read of this section today and then I'm going to pick the bits out of it that are about where Jesus talks about love and we'll just look at, at the way that love actually works. Now, John chapter 14 verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, and I'm pretty sure he would have said that a few times, said, uh, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. 
Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So you're going to look at three things today that Jesus talks about uh, when it comes to love. Uh, and that's together, severed, and reunited. So let's have a look at together. I want to start this morning by looking at what's normative. What's normative is the normal way that things operate. And, and what I'm really asking here is what is the connection between love and obedience and you just need to know if you've been around the church here long enough or you've read the gospel of John enough you just know that Jesus talks about this a lot and John writes about Jesus talking about this often uh, in his gospel and and, uh, and Jesus actually goes into detail about the nature of this connection between love and obedience in this passage today so I want to start by just highlighting them for you by putting them up on the screen there and the first one is in verse 15 if you love me, keep my commands. Now, at first glance, this looks like an ethical thing. Jesus has made some rules, and you need to keep the rules. It, it feels kind of similar to what is said in the Old Testament. Uh, the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, even if you're not part of a church and wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you've probably heard of the Ten Commandments. And, and you've probably got this idea from... Um, about Christianity that you meant to kind of keep the rules and, and, it, and it looks like this is what uh, Jesus is actually saying here is that he set a whole bunch of rules and you need to keep them and in particular I think this is this next thing is is something that um, is true for many of us about how we think about the connection between love and obedience it sounds like Jesus is saying love first then obey that's what it sounds like, okay? I want to move on to the next one. Uh, what Jesus does in the, the next time he talks about love and obedience is he actually comes at it from a different angle. And I want you to see this. Verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Now, this is interesting, right? What I think is fascinating about this is the first one was like, love first, then obey, this one looks like obey and then you'll love. It, it, it looks like it's running in the exact opposite direction to the first one. But it isn't quite as clear cut as that. I mean, what I'm highlighting here is that there's a tendency for us as humans to think about love and obedience or love and action as two separate entities that run in a process. You do one and then you get the other or you do the other. So you love and then you obey or you obey and then that will mean that you're loving. And, and so what that leaves us with is it actually leaves us asking the question, which one comes first? And if you ask that question about what Jesus is saying in these two verses, it's not clear. Because in the first one, it looks like love comes first. The second one looks like it's obedience or action that actually comes first. And you could actually ask Jesus, if he was here, uh, about which one comes first. Does love come first and then obedience? Or does obedience come first and then love? And I don't think he'd answer your question. And the reason why he wouldn't answer your question is because it doesn't work like that. It just doesn't work like that. And I want to go on to the last saying that Jesus uh, makes here in this passage about this connection between uh, love and obedience or love and action. Uh, verse 23 to 24, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. 
Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. You know what Jesus is doing in each one of these verses up here? He's collapsing love and obedience in on top of each other. That's what he's doing. You know, at the start, that verse 15 at the start, if you love me, obey my commands, it feels like they're distinct and they're separate. And then he keeps going and you're going, well, they're actually not distinct and separate. They're not two separate steps in a process, in a linear process. They run together. And I want to say to you this morning, love and action, love and obedience always run together. They always do. Why? Because what you do is directly connected to what you truly love. All the time. Like there's no exception to this. Right? It always is. Whatever you love the most shapes the way that you act. Whether it's Jesus, your dog, notice I didn't use cat, your dog, your money, your car, your security, what you love shapes what you do. Now, I'd be interested to know at this point, I'd love to have a conversation with every one of you, uh, about what you're thinking um, about this discussion. Is it, what kind of discussion am I having? What kind of discussion is Jesus happening? Is it, is it a religious discussion? Is, are we talking about love and obedience in the context of something that Christians are meant to do? Is this a religious thing? And this is a question that I actually ask quite a bit, and I uh, I often suggest this to um, to the pastors and to the staff in the church. Is like when you're having a conversation with someone, make sure that you're really clear about the kind of conversation that you're actually having. Um, people often come up to me and they'll ask my opinion on something, and one of the follow-up questions I often say is, "Who who are you asking? Are you asking Peter the friend, or?" Peter the boss or Peter the pastor, which, um, which one are you actually asking? Because the nature of the relationship or the conversation that you're having informs the way they operate in it, right? Does that make sense? So I ask that question. So I'm asking this question of you. What kind of relationship is Jesus describing when he's talking about love and obedience? Let me give you a few options. Is Jesus describing the relationship between a subject and a king? Is he describing the relationship between a creator, God, and the creation? Oh, I don't think so. I think scripture does have lots of things like those first two. But um, no, I don't think so. Is is Jesus describing the relationship between a judge, like a legal judge, and the accused? Is Jesus describing a relationship between a, a worker and a boss? I, don't, I think the answer is no to all of those. And so I want to ask you the question at this point, what kind of relationship is Jesus actually talking about when he's talking about this stuff? Now I'm going to help you. What I've done is I've bold and italicized uh, the bits. I mean, there's so much relevant stuff. You could probably do it to the whole lot. But let me just go through the bold italicized bits in the scripture. The first one is the one who loves me. 
Notice Jesus is not saying the one who respects me. It's not the one who gives way. It's not the one who submits to me. What is it? It's the one who loves me. All right? The second bit there. Um, loved by my Father. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. Now, this is a bit weird, right? Because this almost seems like the reverse of what Jesus said back in John 6, where he says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So the Father needs to love you for you to get to Jesus. <laughs> but this verse is saying the one who loves me gets loved by the Father. So what is, what is that? And I want to say to you that I think this, the kind of relationship that Jesus is talking about here is a relationship where there's initiating love and there's reciprocating love, right? There's, there's a love that goes out, there's a love that comes back. And sometimes it runs in the other direction. What kind of relationship does that? You go on a bit further. And I too will love them and show myself to them. This relationship is about opening up and knowing and being known that's what this relationship is about and then you get to the last bit there that the father and jesus are going to set up home with you um that's like super super personal right so i wonder what you would say what what kind of relationship is it you know what kind of relationship it is it's a personal relationship that's what it is it's a personal relationship. And I want to say to you that every single personal relationship has rules by which it operates. Every single one. You, know, you may not think about it, but they absolutely do. There are general rules that are true for every single relationship. And then there's actually specific rules that relate to the person that you're doing a relationship with. Let me give you an example of a general rule about relationship which I found out about when I was uh, single and uh, I thought it would be really funny one time to go up to one of my mates who was asleep on the lounge and scare him uh, he didn't find it funny all right um, didn't go too well here's the bottom line if I kept going up to him and scaring him when he was asleep we wouldn't have a friendship like that's just let you know, that's a ground rule for relationship, right? You keep doing that, you won't go too well. Uh, there are rules all over the place that we don't actually talk about that inform the way that we do friendships and the way we do relationship with each other. We find things out about each other that the other person doesn't like. And if you decide that you're going to keep doing that, you're not going to have relationship or you can adjust to actually fit what they like and what they don't like. This is actually a normal part of doing relationships and and here's a key principle uh, the more significant the relationship the more important it is to articulate what some of these rules are by which the relationship operates right and this is why you have covenants that run the whole way through the bible and and if you're not familiar with what a covenant is in the bible it's really um, a relationship that God forms between himself and his people where they basically where he says this is what I'm going to do as part of my side of the covenant this is what you actually need to do at the end of the day they're really just the rules of relationship after the Israelites were freed from Egypt after God freed them from Egypt uh, through Moses God takes them to Mount Sinai and they make a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. 
That's what they do. And really what that is, is God and his people are entering into a relationship. And uh, if you know of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are part of this covenant. And I want to put up on the screen the, um, the opening of the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. What's the opening requirement in this relationship? It's exclusivity. That's what it is. That's the opening requirement in this relationship. The uh, Hebrew here can actually be translated, you shall have no other gods before my face. So there's this idea that God and his people want, God wants to be face to face with his people and he doesn't want you bringing in another God in between you and him. It's not going to work. It's one of the relational rules. It's one of the rules of doing relationship with God. And I would say to you that it's even part of a lower level, most personal relationships. If you're not loyal to the person that you're being a friend to, your friendship's not going to last very long. But if you take it up a few notches and you talk about a, uh, a marriage relationship, um, this totally, I mean, this is, this is part of the vows that I take couples through when they get married, right? It just, it just totally is. Um, see, God's saying here, and, and when a, a, married, a couple who's getting married on their wedding day make vows to one another, they're really saying... Um, I'm not going to stay in touch with my old lovers. We're not going to do that. Um, and, and this is some of the rules that actually operate in a marriage. And, and it's not the only ones because, I don't know, people who are married, you, there's, there's things in your marriage because of who you're married to that you, that you can't do that other people seem to be able to do. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You, you look at other relationships and you go, well... They can do that, but I can't do that in this relationship. And I just go, yeah, that's exactly how it works. There's, there's just things about moving together and loving one another that are going to be general and things that are actually going to be unique to the person. The vows that people make at a wedding are the general uh, rules, um, the general commands in a sense, and then there'll be specific ones related to the person that you're actually married to. And I want to say to you, like this, this may sound a little bit heavy to you, but it's actually been the case since you met the person. If you're married, it's been the case since you met the person that you're married to. All right? Um, if, you, if you look at someone who's in love, right, and we see it all over the movies and we see it in real life, if you look at someone who's in love, what do they do? They bend their life to fit the person that they're in love with. That's what they do. Do, do you see what I'm saying? And, and they, they stop doing some things that they would normally do. Why? Because they love the person and they actually want to be together with the other person. And, and you actually notice this, um, for those who are married, as you go through your marriage, like there will be times where you love your spouse deeply and dearly and you'll be just so willing to bend and to, and to shape your life to kind of fit them. And then there's other times where the love's at a pretty low ebb and there's a little bit inside of you that's just kind of going, you know, kind of stuff you. I'm not going to do that, all right? I probably shouldn't say it like that. Apologies if that causes mental problems for you. But it's a little bit like that. And so you can, 
I couldn't give a rip about that. All right? And, and you're, not, you're not bending. What's the difference? The difference is the love. You see that? Like you just don't love them as much right now. And so there's less of a drive inside of you to actually make your life fit them and adapt to them. And I'm saying that needs to be a, a, a two-sided thing. What am I saying in all of this is that love and obedience, love and action always go together. And you can see this, and I want to show you this by going back to the scriptures that we looked at earlier, and in particular the last one there in verse 23 and 24. The word that Jesus uses in the first two is commands. What's the word that he uses in the last one instead of commands? Teaching. You see that? So when Jesus is saying commands in the first two, I just want to say this to you. He's not just talking about ethical commands. He's talking about everything he's saying. So when, when Jesus talks about loving him, he's talking about complete alignment to who he is. That's what he's talking about. Not just ethical compliance. You see that? You need to align with him. And... And, and the big idea, I'm just, I'm just about to finish this point, the big idea here is this kind of stuff runs in any loving relationship, but it runs even more significantly in relationship to God himself. Love and obedience are not two steps in a linear process. They always exist together. All right? And I want to say to you, always... Right Now, some of you at this point, and this is going to take me to the next point, some of you at this point go, well, what about if I said something like, I really do love Jesus, but I'm disobedient to him. I just say that you don't love Jesus in that moment. You just don't love Jesus. Um, even though in theory we can say we love jesus and we're disobedient to him it's actually not possible in practice because action obedience and love always run together which brings me to this second point severed what i've just said closing out that first point highlights some of the problem that we actually have you can't disconnect obedience and love but we do <laughs> at least in our minds right it doesn't happen in practice but it happens in the way that we actually think about it and and i just want you to know that that when we do that in the way that we think about it we're actually severing obedience and action and love apart now i could have used a different word that was a bit nicer like uncoupled right or disconnected or unjoined but none of them capture the violence that happens when in our minds we disconnect obedience and action and love from each other um, remember the norm is that love and obedience love and action always go together so here's our problem uh, we tend to think of love and obedience slash action as distinct from one another that that's a big problem and in fact, that's the point of my whole message today, right? So if you don't get it, that'll be really depressing for me. But I'll be okay. 
And so what I want to do is I want to give you a few examples about how we think about love and obedience and action as separate entities from each other in really unhelpful ways. And I, I, want, to, I want to do it by referencing the very first thing that Jesus says in this section that we've looked at today in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Um, and what's interesting about this first one in particular, which I'm going to throw out, is it's not even talking about love and action, but it's something that our heads do with it when we read it, right? It's, it's a bit of a weird one. If you, when you read, if you love me, keep my commands, you hear, if you want to be loved, you need to be obedient. Now, we're not going to have a show of hands, but it would be fascinating, wouldn't it? How many people think that when they read that verse? Because I reckon there'd be some of you, because I do. You know what's weird about that? That's not even what Jesus is talking about. <laughs> right? He's not even talking about that. Uh, this is a mentality which is set on earning love. Um, Jesus is not talking about him loving you. He's talking about you loving him. But somehow when we read it, we just go, oh, I've got to do some good stuff to actually get some love. It's, it's legalism. That's what it is. The legalism in action. Here's another one, and uh, this one is a classic, right? Uh, and this one, if you are not a regular church person and, and you're not a Christian, I'll, I'll put this one in for you, right? You can, you can thank me later. Um, when you read, if you love me, keep my commands, you hear Christianity is about being a good person. It's the classic outsider's view of Christianity and some insiders, I might add. I have heard people say... Um, people who aren't Christians say, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. Well, welcome to the club. All right? Can you see what this view does? This is kind of a moralism. That's what this is. It's a moralism where it splits off behavior from love and it's moralism in action. We need to be good people. But you need to notice something about what Jesus is saying here in the whole section, but in particular in 15, uh, the lead item here is not behavioural improvement. The lead item here is love, right? In what Jesus says anyway. Here's another one. When you read, if you love me, keep my commands, you hear, make sure you're obedient or, or it will look like you don't love Jesus. Anyone done this? This is the religious one, Right? You, you do things to come across as a righteous person by others. It's about keeping up appearances, staying in the group. And the great irony of this is you're trying to portray that you love Jesus, but you actually love other people's opinions more than Jesus. And that's kind of what's driving what you're doing. Here's another one. When you read, if you love me, keep my commands, you hear, I obviously don't love Jesus enough. I need to try harder. anyone in that boat it's partially true right because there is a time where you drop the ball in terms of your obedience and, and you've kind of dropped out obedience wise and your disobedience tells you that there's a problem between you and God no problem really so far in that the critical thing is when you actually start thinking about what kind of problem this is because if you look at the way that you're seeing it down the bottom here um, the way that you're seeing it is that it's an effort problem you see that? 
If the answer is trying harder, you see it as an effort problem. But it isn't mainly an effort problem. It's mainly a love problem. And, and here's the bottom line. There's, there's probably a whole bunch of you that are in this cycle where you see it as an effort problem and you try harder and then you get tired or you drop the ball and then you get guilted again about it and you go, now I'm going to try harder again and then you drop the ball again and you're just in this cycle of dropping the ball because you see it mainly as an effort problem when in reality it's a love problem. That's what it is. Here's the truth, and, and I just say this for those who are in that cycle. If you change your love, you change your behaviour. If you change your love, you change your behaviour. Here's, um, here's the last one I want to look at today about how we separate uh, love and action. Um, when you read, if you love me, keep my commands, you hear love is what you do. Right? Now... It's almost right. <laughs> okay? It's, it's almost right. There's a saying that gets thrown around a fair bit. I don't hear it as much anymore, but it got thrown around big time in church circles um, a number of years ago, and it really irritated me. All right? Um, just drives me up the wall. Now, it captures something that's helpful, but it does something to love that you shouldn't do to love, and, it, and it's this phrase, love is a choice. Have you heard that one? Love is a choice. You see, what, what it does is it assumes that love is merely actions. Now, I 100% think that there are loving acts. I don't think there's any doubt about the fact that there are loving acts. But boiling love down to obedience depersonalizes love. That's what it does. I told this story before, but I'll tell it again. I remember hearing it first in John Piper. Imagine I came home one day and I, had, I got this big bunch of flowers and a box of chocolates for my wife, Ange. All right? And on this particular day, I don't unlock the door with the key. I just knock on the door. And she comes to the door and she just looks and there's this big bunch of flowers in her favourite colour and there's a box of chocolates as well and she's going oh Peter you shouldn't have and I said well actually I didn't really I just did it because I'm supposed to <laughs> right because that's buying flowers and chocolates is a loving thing to do would that be a win the women in the room would that be a win no, no see thank you but you see if if you boil love down to obedience only. That's where you end up. And, and I'll just tell you this, it just takes the romance and the zing out of everything. I could go on about how we separate love and obedience. But here's, here's what you need to know. Whenever you separate love and obedience into distinct entities in a process, you kill love. That's what you do. Just kill it. John wrote 
the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd and 3rd John and Revelation. Listen to what he says in his first letter, 1st John chapter 4, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a, does anyone know the word? Liar. What are they lying about? They're not loving. You see that? If there isn't action attached to love, it's not love. You kill it. That's what you do. So is is a bottom line line if you have an obedience problem then you have a love problem. Or if you want to say it in a way that's less schmoozy. If you have an obedience problem, you have a personal relationship problem. Right? So together, severed, let me end on some good news for you. Reunited. Now, this church is called Restoration Church. Right? In case you didn't know, And we're Restoration Church because the Bible teaches that God is on a restorative mission to bring wholeness and unity to every created thing. That's what he's doing, all right? And in a really special way to people. Sin is our enemy. You go back to the effects of sin in the very beginning and the effects of sin right through the biblical story, the effects of sin in our culture and the effects of sin in our lives is that sin fragments things when people turn away from god it breaks things it fragments things it brings division to things that's just what it does you can see it everywhere you can see it in families in culture in churches in yourself and i want to suggest to you this morning that this breaking apart of love and obedience and action is one of the fruits of sin that you just break it apart in your head It's evidence of the way that sin has internally scrambled us and divided us internally. The psalmist in the Old Testament uh, cries out to God for an undivided heart. There's just a, a fragmentation that's happened inside of us. But our problem is actually much worse than the way love and obedience get separated in our heads. Our, Our bigger problem is that our loves end up going after the wrong things. That's our bigger problem. And we end up in a place where potentially, even today, some of you are sitting there and you're going, I think I've got an obedience problem. And it's like you probably do. But if you've got an obedience problem with Jesus, you've got a love problem. We give ourselves to things other than God. That's our bigger problem. We love things other than God and it wrecks us and it wrecks people around us. We need help <laughs> to bring wholeness and unity to the way that we love. Sit down with me on that. We just need help. I mean, it's a bit like Pete mentioned earlier, you know, there's this hope that our kids would do better than us. Well, the human story is not particularly encouraging in that regard, is it? There, there, there's a pattern in humanity of repeating the same things over and over and getting the same things wrong again. My, uh, my dad said, for years, the one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn anything from history. And there's something about that when it comes to ourselves, but also when it comes to humanity. We, we need help. <laughs> and the good news is that this help is the mission that God's on. 
And the mission that God is on is to bring shalom to this world. Shalom's a Hebrew word. Most people understand shalom as peace, but shalom is actually the peace of everything operating properly. Just works properly. You know, if you've ever had a problem with a, uh, a combustion engine and it just it won't start or it just coughs and backfires and then, and then you do all the work on it and all of a sudden it's running just so well. It's just doing what it's supposed to be doing. You think about humanity, you think about you, you think about the people around you, you think about our world. What kind of peace would there be in this place if everything just ran properly? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? God's on a mission to bring this about in the world and in us. So the, the vision and the mission for Restoration Church has a heck of a lot of upside at this point, all right? Because we've got a heavy lifter who's at work on the trajectory that we're wanting to be on. In fact, we're wanting to be on it with him. And I want to show you something from the Old Testament. There's a couple of places in the Old Testament that talk about the new covenant that was to come in Jesus. And the new covenant, just think, uh, new relationship. What's going to be the new relationship that we're going to have um, with God uh, through Jesus? And, and there's, uh, there's some, just some startling things that come out in the book of Ezekiel and, and some, uh, some come out in the book of Jeremiah, both written around about 800 years before Jesus came. Here's the Ezekiel one. This is God speaking to all of you. If you're a church person, a Christian, he's talking to you. If you're not a Christian, he's talking to you. He's, he's saying this, he's telling everyone, this is what he's going to do. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Does that sound good? He's like, we could add a stand-up thing here, right? He, uh, he thinks you should have a granite heart or a flesh one. You know, we could do that, couldn't we? Listen to verse 27 too. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is God's promise to deal with our love-obedience problem. It's, it's his commitment to you to actually work on your loves. And we're actually in this age right now. And if you are a Christian this morning, this is the ground on which you stand this morning. This is your guarantee. Right? That this is God's commitment to you. So if you get into a messy like disobedience problem and, and you kind of do, do the mass and you go, my loves are really kind of out of whack and it's like, what am I going to do about this? And I've just done this for the 75th time this week. This is the ground on which you stand. God's got a commitment to you to bring unity and wholeness, to change your heart and to change your desires so that they run the right way. And I also want to say that if you're not a Christian today, this isn't the ground on which you stand, but it could be. <laughs> you're invited to make this the ground on which you stand. All right? This is a promise for you. A new heart, a heart of flesh, a new spirit in you, an internal desire to do good. I want to read a section 
out of Jeremiah, that, uh, where the prophet Jeremiah talks about the, the new covenant that was to come. This is Jeremiah 31, verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. This is the relationship I'll make with them, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Do you know what that is? It's not going to be about compliance. The relationship's going to be formed. The covenant's going to be formed. And he's going to internalize things so that you actually want to do them. What... What is he saying? He's saying he's going to bring unity to you at the deepest part of your being. Now, that's a process thing, isn't it? See, I know what I'm talking about, that God's brought some unity to you, to your desires, but not you're still a bit divided sometimes. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah? But you can see it. You can see that there's some unity and, and that, that's on offer to people who aren't Christians today. If you're here today and you're not a Christian. You know, I could ask you the question, do you want to be unified at the core of your being and have peace with things operating properly? Do you want it? See, I, I know that you do. <laughs> you know Why? Because I've never met anyone who doesn't want that. But I just want to say to you, if you're, if you're not a Christian here today, that you can't get that on your own. You know, there's a reason why we make so many superhero movies. Because we're in trouble and we can't get ourselves out of it. You can't get there. There's one more thing which John and Ezekiel want you to know. Um... You're going to have some help doing this. All right? You'll have help doing this. Have a look on the screen there and you'll notice that there's two spirits in the text. You go to verse 26 there. It says, I'll put a new spirit in you. It's a lowercase s. It's kind of synonymous with God's going to give you a new heart to do things. But notice what happens in verse 27. And I will put my spirit in you, capital S. What's that? Well, that's the third person of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I'm going to put my spirit in you to help you, to move you to follow God. You see that verse there? Now, you won't be surprised, but uh, this is actually the very next verse in John chapter 14. Um, it's the second verse in after um, John 14, 15. See it on the screen there? And I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. There is so much upside here, it's crazy. You with me? There is so much upside here. Now most of the time we live in the downside, right? And we see stuff going on in our own lives that isn't quite good enough. But you just need to know that there is a power and a force at work and it's God himself, it's a person who's working to bring unity to who you are at a deep level. And he's not just going to kind of get the ball rolling and say, there you go, champ, get it right. He's actually giving someone who's going to be a helper to help that to happen. Well, that's it. That's why you need to come back next week. All right?
So this is the rest of this year. While I'm preaching, I'm just going to be putting air in your tyres. All right? Today wasn't quite as much like that because we just had to lay some things out. But next week, if you're someone who goes, I think I need help from something or someone outside of me, you need to be here next week because it's all going to be about the helper, the Holy Spirit. He comes to help us. I wonder if you'd stand with me and uh, we'll pray. Let's pray. Jesus, probably just be good for us all to be honest with you and because um, you see us anyway, you know us anyway and just say sorry to you for the times that we haven't loved you or loved other things and our action and obedience has, has kind of rolled in their direction instead of toward you and uh, we're also sorry for the way that that has hurt other people around us because um, it hasn't just hurt you um, it's hurt other people as well and um, I just want to say to you that we really do want you to bring wholeness and unity and oneness to who we are deeply on the inside pray that you just help us to to love you and just have our lives flow with you flow with your teaching that we'd wrap our lives around you and it wouldn't be a heavy intense thing but it would just be a joyful freeing thing the um in uh just speaking to all of you as you, you got your eyes closed, uh, John in his first letter um, says God's commands are not burdensome. They're not burdensome because the main thing is not effort and compliance. The main thing is love. So God, I, I pray that you'd just help us to get that and to, um, a lot of us do, but we just need to keep remembering it and um, pray that you just help us to engage in good personal relationship practices this week with you, that we'd listen to you, the things that you say in the Bible, that we talk to you, that say things about who we are and what's going on for us. We'd spend time with you. We'd sing to you. God, our world desperately needs whole, powerful people. And we're saying to you today, that we want you to make us whole. We do cry out with the psalmist, give us undivided hearts. And God, I pray for anyone here who's not a Christian today. I pray that they would run to you, that the invitation to stand on different ground, to not stand on ground that strives, but to stand on ground that looks that's about love. They would, they would run to you to make them 
whole and not divided. Amen.